Hey there, it's Kara. We are in Le Vital Core Salon. I'm your host in Salonaire. Each episode, my job is to introduce you to a modern woman leaving her unique stain on the world without letting bullshit or burnout stop them. To those of you who are frequent flyers, welcome back. I'm so glad you're here again. And for those of you who are new and wondering, am I in the right place? I want you to ask yourself, have you ever been frazzled, afraid, or feel not enough along the way? And if that's the case, you're in the right place to receive some inspiration, some totally doable ideas, and a whole slew of resources in this particular episode with my guest, Chelsea Collier. Let me tell you a little bit about Chelsea's professional cred. She is the founder of Digicity, the editor-at-large for Smart Cities Connect, and co-founder of Impact Hub Austin. Chelsea's I would say mission is to unite the public and private sectors to create smarter cities and more connected communities. She's a 2018 Marshall Memorial Fellow and a 2016 Eisenhower Fellow. Her work has been published in Inc.com, VentureBeat, the Chicago Tribune, and more. She's also an advisor to the St. Edwards University Business School, the Austin Technology Alliance, and the Austin Forum. So just in case you couldn't tell by now, she's located in Austin, Texas. And in that same city, she has been the recipient of the Austin Under 40 Award and has earned her master's and bachelor degrees in communications from UT Austin. So that's Chelsea's professional cred. And that, I think, probably just scratches the surface of everything she's up to. And I had the privilege when I was at South by Southwest a couple of months ago to sign up for some one-on-one mentor sessions. And I was looking at all of these different women to talk to about the 33K Taskless project and get some different perspective on the project from women who don't do anything even remotely similar to what I do. And Chelsea was one of those women who offered to be a mentor during South by. And literally, I came away from that conversation about to do cartwheels down the street. And if I wasn't wearing a skirt, it may have happened. It was just such a wonderful conversation. And I think just such a connection with someone who also doesn't fit nice and neatly into all the boxes. And we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit in today's conversation. Today, we're going to talk about a lot of big concepts in the world of technology, but I don't want you to freak out. Chelsea's wicked smart, and she's going to break stuff down in a way that if you've never heard any terms like smarter cities, the internet of things, or 5G, you will get it. You'll be able to follow along, and I think it's important to get it so that we can really understand the work Chelsea's doing in the world. Also, we're going to talk about some really important human stuff, especially about figuring out what you want to do when you grow up and how to actually do that, Chelsea's able to really talk about that in a super practical way. We're also going to talk about owning that. Like when you actually figure out what it is that you want to do, what do you do with it? And more importantly, for those of you who may not fit into a nice neat box, what to do with it when there's no job that exists doing what you know you're meant to do. So we cover a ton of ground in this episode. So stick with us, buckle up, 
And voila, meet Chelsea. Chelsea, welcome to the Vital Core Salon. How are you today? Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about this and starting the day off right. So great. Yay. I know we had to bobble our schedules around a little bit, but we managed to make it work. And after this, we'll have the whole day ahead of us, right? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) What will we do then? (laughs) I know I can bust out of this windowless 1957 sewing room covered in wood paneling that that I hide to record in. Nice. (laughs) It's dreamy, actually. (laughs) I don't know. It's a lot of beauty board in here. Cool. I like beauty boards. Are you, do you like the retro stuff as much as I do? Oh, I think it's so refreshing, which is kind of a strange thing to say about retro, but it's this, this kind of period of time when women truly started stepping out into their own and kind of owning what it was to be a modern woman. So I just find that, that whole era very inspiring. I don't know about this room. It's funny because there's a cabinet that's for sewing notions and things like that. And then behind me, there's actually a built-in ironing board. So I don't know how much this woman was busting out. (laughs) Now it's a choice, right? (laughs) True, true. Yeah. But you are seriously busting out. And I have to say, with all honesty, you are one of the most multi-passionate guests to grace Levital Core Salon. Oh, thanks. I like that. I'm so excited for people to learn about what you're doing. And I think... Normally, we usually start with what you do for work on this show. That's kind yeah. of how we, we dive into the conversation. But I think what you do is so unique and so interesting at the intersection of tech policy and social and civic impact. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that everyone listening, and even me, I, I did a lot of preparation for this interview, but I want to make sure that I'm on the same page as you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you talk about a couple of key concepts? And one is smart cities and one is the Internet of Things. Sure. So smart cities, it's a it's a latest buzzword. And I have kind of a love-hate relationship with buzzwords. <laughs> um, I really love them because even the term smart cities is something that people are hearing a bit more now and they can rally around it and it sounds it sounds like something compelling. Um, the challenge with buzzwords is that once you define it, then people want to stretch against and kind of rally against that concept. So I'm somewhere in the middle when it comes to smart cities. Um, and maybe it might help if I define what a smart city is. That's probably the most common question that I get these days. Please dive right in because I'm excited to learn. Okay, cool. So um, a smart city, and and truly it's about a smart community because it could be a metropolitan area like a city or a county or a region or a state or even a nation. Um, And it's about how technology integrates into that smart community to make it run more efficiently, to increase the quality of life for all people and to increase the economic prosperity of that community. So when you think about the challenges that 
have really plagued our communities since we started gathering together. Um, at the end of the day, that's all about access. So right now, our communities are challenged with access to healthcare, access to education, access to transportation, um, even access to economic indicators like do you have the right kind of retailers around you? And there's a lot of conversation around food deserts. So a smart city ideally uses connected technology to make progress in all of those areas. Um, There isn't a smart city quite yet. There are some global cities that are on their way, specifically in Asia. Singapore is doing some amazing things. Uh, A lot of cities and communities across the UK. And there's almost like this rush and this race and this fever to become smart cities and and lots of sharing and collaboration in in all of that journey. So um, it's just a fascinating multi-layered, really dynamic area, and there's no shortage of things to learn every single day. (laughs) I can only imagine. I spent some time on your DigiCity page, and there's a ton of information there. And Chelsea, what is the Internet of Things? I know that's another huge buzzword, and I felt like the, the deeper I tried to research it, the more it just seemed like there's lots of infighting and multiple definitions. What do you what do you see as a working definition? So the Internet of Things at its most um, kind of primal level is devices connected to devices without a human being in the middle of it. So right now, you know, we all have mobile phones and we are the humans connected to that mobile phone. If you start thinking about shipping and logistics or warehouses or um, uh, cameras on top of light poles in your kind of intersections in a, in a busy city connected to a central command system, all of those things start connecting to each other. They collect data and they share data and there's a layer that secures that data. So it, that gets a little weedy and a little, um, a little nerdy. <laughs> but <laughs> if you think about it right now, there are about 30 billion connected devices on the planet. And what's important about that number is that in about a year and a half to two years, that number is going to skyrocket to 50 billion. So we are very quickly approaching an ever-connected world. And that's very exciting from a smart cities perspective because when cities really start creating the policies, the regulations, and and start working together to interconnect all of those things along with 5G. So 5G, and I promise I won't get all technical about all this, but 5G is the next generation of our wireless network. So today we run on a 4G world. That's what connects all our mobile devices, big cell towers talking to each other. 5G is the next step in that. So instead of just towers talking to each other, there's going to be these things called small cells. And you'll start seeing them um, in in cities. They're about briefcase size or pizza box size. And they're going to skyrocket connectivity. And we'll need it because we're increasing the number of connected devices um, almost by by twice, almost by 100%. So it's, um, it's a little hard to describe in terms of what that will actually look like, you know, in terms of our daily experience. And I think there's going to be a lot of surprises there. But just think 
really quick speed in, in terms of internet connectivity and devices talking to devices. So it almost feels like your human experience is magnified and, and elevated and you have access to whatever you need and want at exactly the the same time as it's being offered. So it's it's just going to be really exciting and um, it's going to happen in a very short period of time. That is wild. I mean, that number of 30 billion existing mm-hmm. right now is sort of mind-blowing. Right. I mean, I think in my head it was, I'm a very visual person in terms of how I kind of conceptualize things. I just saw it as this big jumble of like yeah. cell phones and iPads and computers. And, yeah. And, I, and refrigerators talking to robots in warehouses that know exactly what you need and when you need it. And, you know, when you think about that on a municipal level, the example that gets used a lot is trash cans. So um, right now we all bring our trash out to the curb. There are two people in a truck that come on their regular route every single day. Well, in this new smart city connected world, those trash cans alert the trucks only when they need to be emptied. So when you think about that and start dialing it back in terms of the number of hours those two individuals need to work, the wear and tear on the machinery, the wear and tear on the streets, and just the labor and all of the effort and all this invisible layer of what it takes to run a city, and now just think about optimizing that and making it more and more efficient. Um, I think I think we'll start to see a lot of savings of time, a lot less waste, and of course, as taxpayers, um, hopefully, we'll enjoy some of the benefits on our bottom line too. So, absolutely, yeah, this is mind blowing. It's almost like where, and this is a super simplistic comment, and you can feel free to correct me, but it's almost like we're able to offload some of the things that we automatically think about to the robots. Like I joke all the time in in my business, and especially where I'm largely a a solopreneur. Mm-hmm. With a producer for the show and a virtual assistant who helps me with some of the tasks. Yeah. There's a lot of times I'm relying on scheduling apps and apps talking to other apps and things like that to make my world easier. And I always joke that I'm delegating to the robots. Like I have a whole <laughs> team of robots that I delegate to. Yeah. Well, it's not a simplistic example. I think it's a really beautiful example. Um, and think about doing what you do now and trying to do that 10 years ago. Impossible. Impossible, right? I mean, today, 30% of um, the working economy and the people who run it are freelancers. And that's a pretty large number. Um, In a very short order of time, I think the year is in five years, I'd be a little shocked that it would happen this quickly, Uh, but that number is expected to be 50%. I mean, half of the workforce is going to be freelancing. There are just so many huge changes coming up. Um, And to me, I'm a bit of a changeaholic, so I get really excited and energized (laughs) by change. Some people have a very very different relationship with change. So um, (laughs) for some people that comes up, and I get that, I really really understand that. Um, So it's a lot of the work that I've tried and I'm trying to do is to forecast what's happening and then create a model and create checklists and create a body of work where people can refer to it and say, 
okay, this, I can see where this fear is coming from, but here's a way to navigate it. And a lot of that for cities is around policy and regulation that is made for 30 or 50 years ago, as opposed to this very dynamic time that, that we're stepping into. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, I think about even the things that have happened just in my lifetime. I mean, I'm a big music person. I'm a big rock mm-hmm. and roll person, which is partly why I love your city of Austin so darn yeah. much. It's so fun. But I think, you know, when I was a kid in first or second grade getting straight A's, I got to pick out a cassette. Every time I got all A's, I got to get a new cassette. And that's something that I see kids now and they're like, what is this strange technology? (laughs) You know, except for some of the, the goofballs, you know, at Burger Records who are trying to bring cassettes back as kind of a novelty thing and releasing music that way again. But I mean, just something as simple as that or, you know, a VHS tape. Mm -hmm. It's like, what are these crazy things to to someone who's like 10 years old right now? Yeah. So I can't even imagine what this is like for you to be forecasting this stuff. Uh, It's it's like a dream. It's a total (laughs) dream. A mind-boggling one, maybe? A mind-boggling dream. And in the beginning, um, and I started down this journey because I received a fellowship called the Eisenhower Fellowship. By the way, applications for the Eisenhower Fellowship are open for one more month. So I know we'll get to kind of action items in a little bit, but um, I highly, highly recommend it. It was really, and still is, um, pretty life-changing for me. So I received a fellowship, and the application basically asked, okay, what do you want to study for a year? Um, what's what's going to be your focal point? And for me, that was a very hard question to, to answer. Um, I'm going to borrow your phrase, multi-passionate. <laughs> I think that's really cool. Um, and I just love everything that is innovation and social impact and civic entrepreneurship and um, anything that's passionate people coming together who are really using their hearts and their brains to make something better. I I want in. I just raised my hand. I'm like, whatever it is, I want in. So in all of that, it was, it was challenging to name what that one thing was. So I defaulted and kind of cheated because smart cities is the umbrella subject that covers all of that activity. So, um, that's kind of what it started my, my journey on all of this. I remember us talking about this when we met at South by Southwest and and you sort of saying, well, I, I fudged because I, re- yeah. I remember talking to you about the 33K task list project and how what it's like to not fit a nice, neat box anywhere. Yeah. How did you get to the Eisenhower application? Because I feel like so many things must have been overlapping mm-hmm. for you to get to that point even. It was a link on LinkedIn. Really? Really. Yep. I saw a LinkedIn LinkedIn, and I think it was from my inbox. I can't remember. And I've gone back and searched because I get this question a lot too. And I, I can't find the, the, you know, the uh, email kind of thing in the, in LinkedIn, but I clicked on it and I thought, why the heck not? And I was just in this bold kind of mood where I'm like, I'm just going to step into everything that comes in my path. <laughs> and boy, am I sure glad that I clicked on that link because it's just been such an incredible experience. I love that you're mentioning like stepping up and being bold because I think, 
I don't know if it's just the, the places I've been dwelling in or the conversations I've been having lately. And it's been around like female entrepreneurship and, mm-hmm. and taking risks. And I think what I've been hearing a lot of lately is women not taking action on something like that until they yeah. feel like they're 99.9% qualified. Right, right. You know, and then contrasting that to men who would apply to be like the chief breastfeeding officer. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> like, you know, they were like, they had like 30% of the qualifications, but the confidence to figure out that so, they could make up that deficit. Yeah. What led you to be so bold? You know, at the time through this whole journey, it didn't feel bold. I think the origin of it really started, I took a writing workshop that my friend Katie Ford um, did, gosh, I guess this was about three years ago, and I really just did it to support her because she's awesome, and it was a small group of people, maybe 12, 13 people, and I just thought, you know... Katie's amazing. It'd be so much fun to just go hang out with her on a Saturday and see how she runs this workshop because she's just brilliant. So we did the workshop. And then one of the questions in the workshop was write your perfect day from the time you wake up in the morning to the time you go home at night or go to sleep at night, just free style, write whatever that is. And there are no um, kind of uh, resource barriers. So you have all the time you need, you have all the money you need, you have all, you have everything you need. Now write what that perfect day is. And boy, I got busy. <laughs> so <laughs> I basically wrote this whole story. And then she said, all right, go back and read this again in a week and then get started. I'm like, all right, well, that's what Katie told me to do. So that's what I'm going to do. And it's really been magical because what I wrote is exactly what I'm doing right now. And it's about, for me, really claiming what you want. And that may feel bold, but to me, I just think it's our responsibility. We've just been given this life, and why not optimize it to the best of our ability? And then the tricky part is once you really claim what it is in your heart that you want to do and what you want to give to the world, believe that it's possible. And it's the belief part that a lot of people get hung up on. And I don't know, for me, it's just like, well, shoot, let's go for it. Let's see what happens if I really just put 100% of my energy, time, effort, and heart into into this dream that I want to create. And then it's happening. And it's really beautiful. Yay. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. And anyone can do it. <laughs> there's, no, there's no magic resource. There's not, you know, some catalytic event that happened in my life. It's just one little thing in front of the other. And looking at, um, I think we have a tendency to look at our lives as, well, I don't have enough fill in the blank. And all of that is just fiction. It's just made up stuff that somehow entered our head at some time in our life. None none of that is real. We, We just obey those rules for some strange region. So I just decided I'm not going to listen to that anymore and I'm just going to do it. So here we go. That is so fantastic. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it just is. Yeah, it's just the way it is. So Chelsea, what were you doing when you landed in Katie's writing class? Like what was happening? Because I guess I'm trying to understand how did you, 
how did you end up at this super unique, I say intersection, but it's more like a roundabout with about like five entry points, Mm -hmm. more than like some four corner intersection. Yeah, no, it's kind of right. And I look back on my career and I really started in advertising Uh, right out of school. I went to work for a very small advertising agency and then that agency split into two. So I had a chance to be a founding member of a smaller agency. And so I got that kind of, Ooh, what does it feel like to win and lose with my team? And we're building a business and can we make payroll this month? And Ooh, we hired a first employee and, you know, just like the rush and the joy. And, um, I, I, I really, really love that process but then I didn't love what we were doing. I couldn't really care less about advertising. <laughs> um, so I decided, all right, I'll just trade the, the, the canvas. So I moved into economic development and worked for the state of Texas and the governor's office in the state of Texas. And that was really amazing because it was a very entrepreneurial time for the state and economic development. We we're creating all sorts of new programs and I had never really worked in, in a state capacity before. So that was really cool. But the, the bureaucracy got a little stale after a few years. So I was like, all right, time to do something else. And so a couple little starts and stops. I did some nonprofit service for about a year and that was lovely. But again, I missed like the rush of building a business. So I went to work for a tech startup uh, that did social entrepreneurship, um, mobile banking for the underserved. And it was early days, you know, before mobile banking was really a thing and we're working in um, underbanked populations. And so that was really cool. And I kept feeling though, like I was running up different mountains and then getting to the top of the mountain and saying, oh man, I'm so exhausted. I finally made it to the top of this mountain. Oh dang, wrong mountain. <laughs> mountain. <laughs> so I'm like running up and down and just exhausting myself. And finally I kind of got to the fifth mountain and said, all right, I'm, I need to kind of make this a plateau for a little bit and figure out what I want to do. And I want to, I want to pull all of these different areas together, the government and the policy and the startup world and the social good world. And so I started my own consulting agency and my own consulting firm. So I could do that essentially, and just kind of run up different mountains, but this time they were my own mountains. So, um, it's just been a lot of fun. And so the short answer to your question is it's all just kind of been evolving and, and building. And I don't think that the straight shot was the path for me. It, it, it works for some people and I'm so glad that it does, but it just felt like even when things were really, really tough and I wasn't very happy in my career, I just kept going, expecting it to somehow work out in the end. And then the lens kept widening and widening and now that I see the bigger picture, there is a purpose behind the roadblocks or the challenges that I experienced earlier in my career. It, it helped me build experience or empathy or a little bit of grit sometimes. And it helped me have faith that, you know, if I had one dollar in my pocket, it's cool. Like, don't worry, <laughs> something else will come along and just keep going. Don't give up. So, um, it's all, it's all had purpose. And, um, so here we are today. And again, it feels like I'm living my own self-created dream. This is fantastic. And I'm going to ask a question that you may or may not remember the details. Cause I, 
I get what a tough question I'm about to ask. Okay. Ooh, I'm intrigued. You were talking about, you, you mentioned the expression, figure out what you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something we hear a lot of people talk about, but often, you know, from a place where like the bow is kind of around it, right? Like you have kind of figured out like your flow and your groove and you got to this place. Do you remember some of the tools or some of the the analysis or how you kind of unpacked the skills that you needed to kind of take forward or the act the actions you needed to take to get to where you are now? Yeah, it's a combination of a lot of different things. Um, It's really interpersonal work at the end of the day, because for me, at least it's the permission to even name what that is. We're so influenced by all things around us from the models we had growing up as kids to the environment that we built our early career days in to all of the influences of people in our lives to what we see uh, kind of optimized on social media. And, you know, we're in this cool period of time where we have access to basically anything we want to consume from a media perspective So that can be, I think, very influential. But for me, it was really doing the work of listening to what my heart was calling me to do and just getting pure about it. Um, There's a book that I really love called Everything Belongs by Richard Rohr. And he's um, a Catholic priest, so a lot of his stuff is is very Christian in its um, expression that doesn't resonate with me. The the religious part doesn't resonate with me, but the message behind it really, really does. And um, a couple of other books, um, and of course I'm blanking on their name, but I can send you some links of the ones that have had a real impact on me. And um, a lot of poets, I think, do such a beautiful job of just taking you outside of the buzz of your brain and getting still and getting quiet and really listening to that heartbeat and then marrying it with the brain beat. <laughs> so those two things are working in context together. Um, and g- again, just giving yourself permission to be who you truly, truly are and believing that that is good and that is what the world needs and that um, that you can have whatever you want and you can do whatever you want. It's absolutely possible. Thank you for the the resource of the book and anything that you want to send over, I will happily include in the show notes as resources because I think that's the beauty of this show. I mean, I I think we all have such different journeys and such different approaches, but I I get a sense from how you think about the world and, and how you're able to connect so many disparate things. I feel like you probably had some interesting ways to kind of get at that. Mm-hmm. One of the things you mentioned is, you know, you mentioned poetry and, and going into different books that even though it, it wasn't maybe the right tone for you necessarily, mm-hmm. you were able to sort of distill some of the lessons from it. Yeah. How did you 
because I, I, I'm trying to think through the eyes of some of the women listening or some of the conversations I, I have. Like, I can see some of the faces in the crowd that are kind of listening to us. And, like, there are the folks that are, like, I'm in this job that I absolutely know is not the right job for me. Mm-hmm. I guess, like, how did you, when you were in it, survive mm-hmm. it? Yeah. That is such a good question. It's funny. I was thinking a lot about that this morning. <laughs> we still hours. You know, it was such a, a not fulfilling place. And I just remember feeling so stuck in it. And I wasn't very healthy in that I wasn't taking care of myself at all. I was really taking care of the ego of the organization I was doing a lot of comparison in terms of it was it there was a it, kind of a male culture there um there was a lot of you know it's a tech startup of course so there's a lot of ambition and it always felt like god these people just know something different than what I know what am I missing here and so <laughs> it just felt like it, I just didn't fit and I I always internalized that as saying God, girl, like, come on, get it together. And why can't you just figure this stuff out? And it really got to the point where I was creating such a toxic environment for myself. And I was watching some of the language that I was using with my coworkers where I really needed the energy where you just get together after work and just have a huge bitch fest. And I realized at some point, like, I'm contributing to this. No one is doing this to me. I am choosing to be in this workplace. I am choosing to think negatively about my contributions to it. And I'm creating this negative environment and what I'm doing afterwards. Like this is, this is not quite right. And who knows how much time I have on the planet, but if it's a short period of time, this is not the way I want to spend it. And so I literally just, kind of said, all right, I've got to do something else. And I don't know what that is going to be. Um, I'm going to get one consulting client and I did, and it was not a lot of money. I mean, that was a lean first year, (laughs) Um, but that was cool. You know, I knew I could make it work and I knew I could work hard and I knew my intentions were pure. And I also knew that if I stayed in that stuck place, then it was not going to change. I was the one that needed to change. So um, I think at the end of the day, it's just saying, you know what? This isn't a bad thing. It's just not good for me. And no one can take an action on that but me. So if it's up to me, I'm going to get busy. That is so smart, brave. (laughs) Courageous. Well, I don't know. It didn't feel brave or courageous. It felt like it was the only option. And I I just wasn't doing a service. I I just wasn't being my best self. And I wasn't taking care of myself. I I was taking care of some other things that I don't think were really pure. So yeah, it hadn't, it hasn't been, you know, (laughs) this little daisy lined uh, journey for sure. But it's, uh, yeah, it's moving. (laughs) I would love to meet the woman that does have that daisy lined journey because <laughs> I feel like I hear more zigs and zags and this got yeah. screwed up and I had to make a decision with these facts at this time. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's never easy. It's, it's never, never easy. 
Yeah. So, Chelsea, let's... So, was it around this point that you applied to the Eisenhower? No, I started my consulting firm in 2010. And then I applied to the Eisenhower grant in 2015. I think, or maybe it was 16. I don't know. The the months get a little muddy. (laughs) And it was really funny. I was actually on a girl's trip in Colombia, if you can believe it. (laughs) And there was like this monsoon where all the power was shut out throughout the entire, we're like in this tiny little fishing village in Colombia. That's a whole different story. I have this amazing group. It's probably not a smart city. (laughs) It's not a smart, it's nowhere close. The electricity goes out and I'm literally like going house to house being like, I have to submit this application. Today's the day. Can everyone just, if internet comes on, can I please just have like 14 seconds of it? So I'm like (laughs) rushing to do this application. So yeah. Um, But I think that was 2016. I'm pretty sure. Oh my God. And so these days you are splitting your time among three different roles. Mm Mm-hmm. So one is the founder of Digicity. Yeah. Then you're the editor at large for Smart Cities Connect. Uh-huh. And you're one of the co-founders of Impact Hub Boston. That's right. Can you talk a little bit about what each role is, just so everyone's on the same page? Sure. So Digicity is the platform that I created when I received the fellowship, because at the time, smart cities wasn't a thing in the U.S. I mean, we were really just starting in the early, early days, and we've made a lot of progress in a very short period of time. But the rest of the world was kind of 10 years ahead of us. So as I was bumbling around, pulling together information on smart cities, I thought, you know what, I'm pretty sure the rest of the world might want to go on this journey with me too. So I just started blogging. And I started um, focusing on a lot of different thought leaders and republishing their things. And I'd carry a video camera around with me. And my fellowship was in the U.S. and in China. And it's such a different experience to be in China than what we think it is. Um, For some people who who are experts and who travel there a lot, of course, and this isn't applicable, but I had a lot of preconceived notions about what it was to be in China in four weeks there turned all those completely upside down. So I just thought I'm going to share exactly what I'm experiencing and what I'm learning in real time, and that's Digicity. Um, So Smart Cities Connect is this amazing organization that is the largest uh, event series and media platform in North America around smart cities specifically. So in the smart cities area, it's really critical to have these convening events where public sector and private sector and nonprofit sector, community advocates, and everyone can squash together in a <laughs> convention center and catch up with each other, deepen their relationships, exchange knowledge, who's doing what, who's made progress. And it's a, the collaboration piece of, of it is really, really critical for smart cities, especially in the U.S. So um, I love that organization because they do a really beautiful job of creating very heart-centered 
content around smart cities. Um, and then Impact Hub Austin, um, that's actually a really kind of a longer story, but it's a really cool one. So I'll try to condense it. Uh, a really dear friend of mine started a co-working space called Center 61 in Austin. And probably a 100 different members, they paid hardly anything. And it was really just a way to create physical space for a community of, of social entrepreneurs. So people who are entrepreneurs by nature, but trying to do it with a do better for the world mentality. So you hear the terms like triple bottom line or um, business for good. And now this is a little more commonly known about, but back then, which was, gosh, I guess seven years ago, seven or eight years ago, it was just a tiny little um band of people and we all just kept running into each other and then thought all right steve why don't you do this so he created a co <laughs> um that co-working space evolved into what is now impact hub austin so there are a hundred impact hubs around the world and these are co-working spaces and collaboration platforms dedicated to the social and the civic good so we applied for the austin license of the impact hub global network and so we have three well two of them running right now in Austin and a third on the way. So it's a really cool time to be in, in Austin where the town is just booming. There's You drive down another street one day and all of a sudden there's a hole in the ground and something new kind of being created. It's like the city line of, of um, construction cranes. It's, it's really it's pretty wild. Cool. I mean, yeah. I've, I've been going to South by for I think three or four years in a row now. And every time we come, it seems like everything is getting higher or like more jammed in. Yes. Yes. Which I'm sure the folks of Austin, the good folks of Austin have their own opinion about. You know, there's challenges and opportunities at every, at every turn. The traffic is getting worse, but that's an opportunity to create smarter mobility networks. So who knows? Who knows if it's good or bad or somewhere in between? Yeah, it's ripe for problem solving, right? Yeah, that is beautifully said. <laughs> oh my goodness. So how do you split your time between all these things? Because I know looking at your website, you've been popping up all over the country, if, if not world, right? Yeah. Speaking at conferences, traveling around. Mm -hmm. How do you juggle all of this? You know, I used to get kind of uptight about it. And it was uh, almost like a rock in my shoe, like oh, dang, I'm just not going to get everything done. And it was um, like my shoulder to start rising and my body gets all tense. And then I thought, no, 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 this is not the point. <laughs> the point is not to overload your circuits. The point is to flow and to do things with joy so you can create more joy for more people. That's the point. So chill out, girl. And um, so the way that I organize it now is just what are the top three things that I have to do today and, and really prioritize those in terms of their urgency. And then other things might kind of need to flow and, and slip a little bit and just being okay with that. And of course, being in integrity with people. But I also get the sense that we're all in this crush right now. And I, I really haven't talked to one single person who said, oh, I just love hanging out with all my free time and la-di-da-di-da. -da -da. I mean, we're all trying to do it all. 
So if we give ourselves a bit of a break, we can give each other a bit of a break and and we're all going to get there and it's all going to be fine. And things that seem very, very serious are really not that serious. And I think that kind of permission again has allowed me to say, all right, these are the things that are very critical for, for today and uh, everything else. Let's just get it done. And somehow it all, it all kind of flows together. I have um, a series of tricks and tools that I use. Of course, a handwritten list is essential. Maybe there is a way to be totally digital, but I'm not sure I want to be. (laughs) And then um, reminders, digital reminders on my desktop. Uh, My inbox is my to-do list. And I've tried basically every app and every little gizmo out there. But those three things working in tandem work for me. Um, Calendly is amazing because I think a lot of the time that we waste is the back and forth kind of admin fever you know it creates kind of like this this buzz but it's not it's not highly um effective work so calendly is great because you send one link and then it's all done you just find available time on everybody's calendar and it's there's no kind of back and forth um and then there's an app called full contact that i really like it's um the ability to snap a business card with your mobile phone and then it automatically updates to the database that you can hand tag and the interface is really, really smooth, and you can just sit there on a plane and snap all your business cards, and you get off the plane, and then it all just kind of magically happens. So um, those are those are kind of my hacks. Whoa, I love these hacks. Yeah, they're fun. I find it so fascinating that you have a handwritten task list, because I feel like, and I mean, <laughs> you know, with me working on the 33K task list project, it's yeah. like, I just... I'm thinking about task lists in all sorts of different ways and being challenged. I mean, even as I'm just in the collection process, getting pushed back, you know, how come I have to send you the the paper one? Mm-hmm. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, it's going to be made into art. So yeah. it's really useful to have something that physically exists in the world. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's interesting because I think sometimes, and like sometimes I'm coming into contact with women and I'm thinking, well, surely this woman won't have a list for me. She's so in the tech space and things like that. So it's so funny to hear that you're like, nope, that's still really lo-fi for me. Oh, I love it. I love it. And I get such joy. And this sounds kind of silly, but like the creativity of it, I think is really fun where, you know, you're cutting up sticky notes and using different pens and the little doodle that you do. I, I think those are things to be celebrated. And um, I don't even care if it's ugly because nobody has to see it but me, except if I send it to you and then the whole book <laughs> can see it. <laughs> but cool they too. won't know it's yours. I've been, I've been very strategic about, you know, all I do is tag like a place. Like if yeah. it's one that I'm sharing on Instagram, I might tag a city, you know, yeah. or a state like that kind of thing. But yeah, I don't tag the person because I feel like people, I've recognized like people are getting really self-conscious. Like I've had some of even my closest friends say, I I haven't sent one yet because every time I look at it and I I think, well, this one's not good enough to send. It's got scribbles over here and coffee splattered on it or whatever. And I'm like, no, those are the ones that feel really lived in for me. Like send those, send the ones that look like garbage. (laughs) 
Well, and I just, I love the the bumps and the bruises. You know, I don't know if it's something that happens when you turn 40, you know, I'm 42 now. And I'm just not that worried about the appearance of perfection because it's a total lie. (laughs) So I just, I don't know. I'm just not, I'm not that interested in the appearance of perfection. I, I really like the this is the raw cut. There's there's no filter here. There's there's no Photoshop being done. So what you see is what you get. And I think um, it gives us all just a chance to relax and, and see each other and accept each other and connect a bit more as humans as opposed to polished gems. I'm so glad you mentioned this because I think in nine years of having private conversations with really frazzled mostly type A women. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's been so interesting to me even to see my clients sometimes who I see their presentation of self, you know, maybe it's on Twitter, maybe it's in Facebook, things like that, like what they're opting to share. And then, you know, I've had this six or 12 month relationship where we're talking every couple weeks. Yeah. And it's, it's wild, like, how much other women are silently suffering. Right. And a lot of it is that, I think, like, born out of this, I mean, a couple things. I mean, one, the task list project was how much we're using that as kind of a weapon against ourselves a lot of days. Like, I've yeah. got to do this, I've got to do this, and if I don't do this, I'm, what's my worth as a person? Right. If I only got, you know... 47 of the 89 things that I had on my to-do list for today completed. And then like at the same time, you know, also just this, this disconnect, like no one wants to say like, I'm not happy with the situation. Like I'm not happy with how fast things are moving or how much I have to take on or, or things like that. And then there's this just suffering where we, I mean, I think a lot of the women reach that reach out to me, have pulled back in some way, right? Like they don't want their coworkers to see how much they're struggling to hold up the weight of the world every day. They don't want their staff to see it. They don't want their friends to see it. Some don't even want their family members to see it. It's me sad. Like I remember feeling that way and I still feel that way. I just talk myself out of it. (laughs) You know, there's no, there's no uh, golden veneer here for sure. But it makes me sad because it it removes the opportunity for us to help each other in real and engaged in meaningful ways. I I think it would be beautiful to be that vulnerable and then to have somebody realize the benefit of that vulnerability, which is a community of support that you didn't even know was possible. I've experienced that and it's um, it's. It's humbling and it's beautiful. It's really, it's blessed. It is. That's an amazing word for it. Because I, I, and I think that's, I know for a fact, that's partly why I started this podcast. I think I was recognizing, okay, I'm having this conversation on Mondays at 3 p.m. with this one woman who's describing, you know, where she's really struggling and some of the obstacles she's bumping up against you know, whether it be from a a health or a lifestyle, or I think just because of my background, even like the professional, like how those are aligning or misaligning. 
And then I was recognizing, you know, a couple days later, I would speak to another woman. And I was like, wow, this is such a parallel to that conversation I had on Monday. But I recognized my clients were paying me for discretion, right? Right. They didn't want anyone to know that they were working with me or needed a coach or needed help, right? Because these are tough women who are the leaders usually. Right, right. And so it was funny, like, I, I just was finding like, wow, if I can't connect these two women, because that would be super inappropriate and unprofessional of me. But then at the same time, like, if it's like, what's the chances that it's just these two women with this parallel obstacle? And I, I was like, there has to be a way to, to talk about this. So I'm always grateful for women like you that come and hang out in La Vital Core Salon and and really show up and and talk about these things honestly. Because yeah. I, I think you're right. Like we lose those blessed opportunities to really be supported, to support each other and and to connect in this really human way. Yeah. Well, you're doing such an amazing thing by creating the platform. I mean, even just the chance to have our voices heard and for us to hear them, I think is yeah. really, that is magical. And I think sometimes, well, I'll speak for myself, I get hung up in the, ooh, I've got to do the big, big, big thing. And I don't have to do the big, big thing. I have to show up <laughs> every single day. I really love working hard. And I can just do a, a small thing that actually turns out to be a huge thing at the end of the day. So I think, you know, I'm certainly not calling your efforts small one tiny bit. I know it, it's um, it's huge. But it may feel like I'm going to create a podcast, and that is tremendous. Well, I think you're right. I mean, I think I am no stranger to insecurity, too, right? Like, I think all of us have their things behind the scenes. Yeah. And so, I mean, I thought when I created this podcast, who the heck is going to want to listen to me? Like, it's not like I had this, like, gigantic platform or anything like that. And I thought, like, well who else is doing long form interviews that talk about like how we're just getting through the day some days. And when I started like Googling that, I I had to stop. I was like, okay, well there's Tim Ferriss who does Mm -hmm. that sort of for the bros. Yeah. And he's got like a bajillion downloads per episode. I mean, I'm pretty sure Tim could just fart in a mic at this point. (laughs) People would be like, wow, that's innovative, Tim. Thanks for really getting to the point. Nice air. <laughs> yeah, like great job. Um, and then I think, you know, I I looked and I was like, oh my God, there's all these other podcasts doing yeah. something similar. And I just thought, well, that could stop me. Or I could just focus on the people that I'm meant to talk to. Yes. Right. And like, I've just made this a really, my husband who co-produces the show, like, has tried to figure out like what I'm curating here, yeah. right? Yeah. Like I think we sat down one time and it was like a beautiful mind in our dining room with like post-it <laughs> pads trying to, and, you know, and he was really trying to, I don't know what algorithm you're running here, yeah. but like yeah. trying to figure out like what the commonality was and things like mm-hmm. that. But for me, it's a lot of it is just based on vibe. Like yeah. when I met you at South by, I was like, I have to talk to this woman. <laughs> I have to learn more about how she's doing this. Sisters. <laughs> I know. But it's, yeah, I mean, I think, 
I, I love what you're saying about I don't have to do the big, big, big thing. And yeah. I think because I think when you put that pressure on yourself, it probably makes things implode. Mm-hmm. Like, or you, you never know, started because it's so intimidating and overwhelming. Like when you originally pictured Digicity, is it even remotely what you thought it was going to be? <laughs> the truth about that experience was I was doing all of this research and I was bookmarking things like I was writing a thesis and I just had this panic moment of, oh my God, how am I going to organize all of this information? I mean, I'm down 10,000 rabbit holes. And I was like, aha. I'll just put it on a blog and then I'll just tag it. So if I need to know what's happening in Charlotte around IoT or what's the next 5G testbed, to it, I'll be able to just go to this online platform and just search it. And that was really kind of the inspiration around it. So I sat in my living room. I found a URL. None of the dot-coms were anything that I could afford. So I just said, all right, dot city, here we go, D-I-G-I dot C-I-T-Y. All right, that'll work. And a Squarespace account. And here we are <laughs> almost two years later. And uh, it's a thing. And now I get to celebrate cities um, in their best practices around how they're creating smarter, more connected communities. And um, yeah, I think... As long as the exploration is joyful, it's the right thing to do. And I don't think we always have to start with the end in mind as this crystal clear vision and then checking off all the boxes on the way to that destination. It it may work for some people. And I have to admit, I'm kind of envious. <laughs> it may work <laughs> for some people. It doesn't work that way for me. Sometimes I just have to jump off the diving board into the pool and then be like, oh, wait, I think I should have checked if there was water in that pool. Okay, there's water. Cool. And then <laughs> just start splashing around. And then you just kind of get to where you're going to get and and believe that it's all going to be okay. Yeah, we usually live to tell about it in most situations, statistically speaking. Right. right. <laughs> right. That's right. But I love that your initial aim was I'm going to, you know, I'm I'm going to be writing this dissertation like or a book or right it was it was going to be like something that was really organized and things like that. And then you recognized well I could keep sort of shoving myself into that process mm-hmm. or just do something that kind of gets me even closer. Yeah. More immediately. Yeah. Did that feel like settling or did that feel like problem solving for you? Oh, it felt like freedom. It felt like I took a, a hundred pound weight off of my shoulders because one of the things that I always remind myself when I my heart starts beating and I'm all stressed out and I'm wound up tight like a little drum. I'm like, oh, wait, if it's not fun, don't do it. That's that's one thing I always try. <laughs> Is this fun? And if it's not fun, don't freaking do it. Like, it's the most simple thing in the whole world. I'm like, this is not fun. And I am not going to spend this amazing experience going down a path that feels like labor. Like, ugh, I don't, I don't want rocks on my shoulders. I, I want some wings. So let's do something that's fun. Oh yeah, let's create a blog. All right. I know how to do that. And it can be, um, it, it can change and it can be very malleable and I don't know what it's going to be. Let's just 
kind of play a little bit. And that's exactly how it's evolved. Chelsea, when you finally made that decision to, I'm just going to build a blog, like I'm going to sign up for a Squarespace account. I'm just going to start putting the material in, tagging it, making it organized. I'm going to take the pressure of trying to force it to to be in some shape right now. Mm-hmm. Not only did you feel the freedom, but what has that changed in terms of how people respond to your work? That is a very good question. My goal was to make it very accessible. And I think that Digicity has accomplished that, or at least I hope so. We'll, we'll see. We, we might have to do a survey after the call and I'll get back to it. <laughs> um, you know, there's a bit of um, imposter syndrome that I certainly have and that I've read a lot about. And smart cities is like the most ideal condition for imposter syndrome <laughs> that could ever exist. And I say that because there's so many areas to be a subject matter expert in. Oh, it's, yeah, because you're at the you're you're at the juxtaposition of all these different areas. Absolutely, so, and you're probably seeing the best, like the cream of the crop, in all of these different areas, right? Yes, and globally. Wow, <laughs> the intimidation factor in the beginning. When I say it was sky high, it was through the roof. And so I just, the more serious I took it, it's not that I don't take it seriously, um, but the more I leaned into that, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm going to have to figure this out and I'm going to have to be on top of this knowledge. And that felt like such a weight. And then when I realized, no, I I get to be, um, an inch deep, but a mile wide. And then I'll just connect to all the people who are an inch wide, but a mile deep. And I can be of service, which is the ultimate goal always, by helping connect them in a way that they normally wouldn't connect. They normally wouldn't have conversations with each other. I can help them do that. And so then it shifted everything as opposed to I have to know all of this stuff about things that I know nothing about and the imposter syndrome is so high and God, I'm getting stressed out just thinking about it. <laughs> I can I feel it. it. Totally. I was, I was pretending that I had to be somebody I wasn't. And that is just the ultimate insult to yourself. So I was like, no, I will, I will be myself and be present and be of service in this very intimidating world. And so that's just what I'm going to do. Indigicity is the tool and the platform that makes all of that knowledge from the subject matter experts accessible. And it's fun. It's super fun. So you get to really be a student and then kind of the glue holding all of this together. That's nicely said. I think I'm going to borrow that and I'll credit you. <laughs> Go for it. It is yours. Thanks. <laughs> Go forth and prosper. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. See, that sounds so cool to me because it sounds like that also freed you up. Like I'm what I'm hearing from your story is just layer after layer of just freeing yourself up. Mm-hmm. What do you think makes that possible? I know life, I'm 41. 
So I know once you hit your 40s, like, I feel like that just inherently becomes a little bit easier. Yes, it does. <laughs> like, and as you as you approach your 40s, you're just like, do I really care about all this bullshit <laughs> around me? But like, what? What allows you on a regular basis? Because I'm, I'm, I'm just hearing it over and over in your story. Like, I just mm -hmm. said to myself, I got to free myself up in some yeah. way, shape or form. There's a saying, um, again, I always kind of go back to mantras because they're fun and it's fun to play with words. Uh, but somebody said this and I can't remember who it was. Do what you do best and link to the rest. And by isolating what you do best, then it's all fun and it's all play because it's natural and it's the expression of whatever talents you've been given by nature and you've nurtured through your own experience. And I think when we live in that state, life just becomes so much easier. It, it becomes a collaboration with people and instead of a competition. And I spent a lot of time in that competition mode because I, I just wanted to be as good as. And so, of course, I would pick people that I was completely different from and then compare myself and then beat myself up because I wasn't as good as whoever. And that just is, that's like digging yourself in a hole in the ground. And so I've, again, just through the process of being alive in the world, I've figured out what I'm really good at and what I really love to do, which is connect people in service of some sort of community, whether that's through Impact Hub and connecting impact investors with entrepreneurs, with curious seekers with whoever walks in the door to Digicity, which is policymakers and technologists and innovators and entrepreneurs and elected officials and cities, smart cities connect, which is essentially the same thing, but on, on a much bigger scale, it's um, tens of thousands of people through smart cities connect. So um, it's all, it's all in the same vein. They're almost like rivers that are all flowing in the different direction, but in their own, in their own little spaces and it's all heading to the same place. So um, again, I just, I get inspired by the pure greatness of other people. And I just want to be a part of that. Oh, I am like, if I had a tail, it would be wagging. I get so excited <laughs> during these, these conversations. Chelsea, to a woman listening who's like, how the heck do I even figure out what I'm good at? Yeah. I know in different episodes, you know, over the last couple of years, I've talked about some of the things I've done in my life to figure this out. Mm -hmm. What's worked for you? You know, is it is it journaling? Is it meditating? Is it how do you start to parse out like where your natural strengths and talents are? It's funny you mentioned um, journaling and meditating because I really want to be good at those things. <laughs> and I think I'm, a lot of women listening would agree with that statement. <laughs> like when I think about the process of journaling or the process of, you know, of meditating, I, I 
my heart doesn't leap towards that. I, I don't find joy in that. So again, back to the mantra, if it's not fun, don't do it. Exactly. <laughs> what I really do enjoy doing is um, the process of creating a model as a way to organize information. So I made up this model uh, called annual intention setting. And it's really just something that I started writing down in terms of, I need to get really focused. It's January. I don't want to do a New Year's resolution, but I really want to just get crystal clear on what I want this year to look like. And I don't know if I want to do like a very specific goal. And so I just started asking myself all these questions and going down this little path. And uh, last year, I wrote a column for Inc. Magazine, and so I'd have a weekly deadline, and on Monday, right after New Year's, I had this uh, my weekly writing deadline, and it, you know, it's the holidays, so everything's kind of still, and there wasn't really any buzz happening in, in smart cities or any of the connected technology space, and so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to publish this little model that I created, and so I put it out there, and it's the most read article of anything <laughs> I've ever written. I knew I could have filled in that part. I was like, oh, yep, that's going to be your most successful column to date, right? I couldn't believe it. I mean, I literally just, <laughs> I pressed publish and then I forgot about it. And a few days later, I came back and like, all right, I'll check the numbers just to see how it's going. I might need to write a letter of apology to my editor. <laughs> and I liked the numbers like, holy cow, good Lord. <laughs> And that was really fun. Like to me, that process of what are your values and what's driving your focus this year and almost like the interview journalism piece of it is is really fun. And you, you pair that with creating a model and it's just joyful. Like it almost happens by magic. It doesn't even feel like work where if I think about writing in my journal, you know, dear journal, it's Monday at 8am or whatever time. Oh, <laughs> that doesn't sound fun at all. So, <laughs> Yeah, I love that you you created this model. It's funny. And the reason I'm laughing and felt like I could predict the second half of, of the success of that that piece was I think what comes up in a lot of my sessions is I'm listening to what people are bumping up against. And I always think in terms of questions. Clearly, oh. that's why I'm on this end of the microphone more, <sighs> more and more these days. But I, I think it's funny because sometimes it's just a matter of reflecting on what are the questions I need to be asking myself to solve this problem? Yeah. Right? And I think like, Sometimes like with my clients, it's, you know, especially when it's around food or why am I not exercising or like problem solving like that, I just always still see it as problem solving. Like, okay, well, yeah. what data do we need to collect? Like, what is the process as it currently stands? Mm -hmm. How do you want the process to be different? And then let's figure out like, well, where are the places that this is possibly breaking down? Yeah. And a lot of times the homework I'm giving my clients is can we get to by the end of a session, like what are the two or three questions you need to focus on just for like the next two or three weeks or the next month, right? That's like what kind of data collection do we need to do? What kind of, 
you know, where where do people need to get rid of the ambivalence in the process, right? And like start to make a decision. Do you really want that? Or are you just saying you want that because that's what all your friends are saying they want to do? Or that's what, you know, People Magazine says is the best workout for X, you know, insert right. name celebrity or whatever. Like, I think sometimes it's really just questions can be such a game changer, but but more importantly, such a life changer. Mm-hmm. So I love that you you sort of created this like framework to kind of just break into like, where do I want to be this year? Yeah, yeah. So I think what's really brilliant about what you said in terms of the short homework, I think that's where you can really get to some of the deeper questions and start peeling back the layers. So a friend of mine who's also just an amazing guide, Blake Shanley, she asked me, wow, you're wearing a lot of grays and blacks and navies. What would happen if you wear red? And I guess there was a look of horror on my face. <laughs> what are you talking about? I can't wear color. And so we started talking about what was really behind that. And it was, I, I don't want to be seen. I feel like I would be too bold and really looking at what's the origin of that, you know, oh, I'm a curvy person. So I've always hidden my curves because I don't want to attract too much attention or the wrong kind of attention. And what I hadn't realized is that over the 20 some odd years of my career, I was hiding and hiding and hiding more and more while I was running around the world, highlighting other people's work I wasn't showing up as me. I was showing up as a microphone or as a a mouthpiece for someone else. But the relationship wasn't quite pure because I was only witnessing it. I wasn't being in it. And so her homework for me was go buy a red dress. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. (laughs) It sounds very silly to say that. And now I just see red dresses everywhere and I have like five of them. So, <laughs> And it, it comes back to the origin of just giving yourself permission to show up and be seen and be vibrant. And it's not bragging and it's not being overly bold or attention seeking. It's a service because people need you and want you to do it. And she helped me realize that. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know that's probably not a, an easy... I guess as I listen, I know how hard it is to come to those kind of aha moments mm-hmm. and pivot points. So I want to thank you for sharing that because I know it's probably something you didn't expect would come up in this conversation. <laughs> oh, I never know what's going to come up. <laughs> That's why we will be friends. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but it's so important. It, it, the, the being seen and the just being who you are, like feeling good in your own skin every day. Yeah. It's not something that's for other people, but not for us. And I think sometimes I hear that a lot in my world. Well, it, you know, it's okay for so-and-so to be doing their thing because they've written a book on it or, you know... it's okay for them to have that success and talk about it because it's proven in some way. 
mm-hmm. I love that like you were challenged in that way to just show up, be you, bring your natural strengths and gifts to the party and just start owning it. Yeah. This is such a great example of it. And I want to thank you because you've you've really broken that down in a lot of different ways in this conversation and spoke about it from the the real place of knowing. And that kind of knowing isn't always easy. <laughs> well, and it's it's rooted in the very, very depths and shame. And so using your questions um, kind of uh, uh, process, which I think is very, very good, it requires you to just get real honest with yourself. And it's almost like you're rewinding the tape. <laughs> and every single question is, well, you're wearing gray and black and navy all the time. Why is that? Well, because I really don't want to be seen. Well, why is that? Well, because I feel shame around one specific thing. Well, why is that? And then you just get right down to the nucleus of it and then just kick its butt and just <laughs> rewire it because it's it's just falseness. I mean, we're we're all just bright, beautiful, gifted creatures, and we have so much to give each other when we give what's honest and what's true about what we all have. And I like how you just described it. I, th- I think at a very simplistic basis, like I think I try to make this show and these conversations that, that they can be really educational for people or that they can take something They can take inspiration for certain, but can they take something actionable from it? And I think what you just did is one of the easiest ways to get down to our own bullshit really quickly. And sometimes I've sent clients home with, you know, I I call it a journaling exercise, but really sometimes they have to submit it back to me to make sure that they'll do it. Right. Um, You know, it's just asking five whys. Right? Like, and you just did it really beautifully. Like, well, why do I only wear these colors? Well, why is that? Well, why is that? And I think sometimes, and and some of the feedback I've gotten was, well, Kara, you're a great question asker. You're a great interviewer. You're, Mm -hmm. you really know how to get down to the weeds pretty quickly. But you don't have to have my level of insane curiosity about how things work or how processes flow or things like that. I think literally start with ask yourself why five times. Just build on the question before it. And I mean, look at how far you got just in that example. That's really good. Five whys. I love that. You could write a book on that, Kara. (laughs) I could if I had time. (laughs) You could start a blog on that, Kara. (laughs) I can barely keep up with the 33K task list blog. It's so funny, like blogging. It's, I can't, I can't find a rhythm with it. I just never have been able to. So I love I love hearing how it worked for you because it was so simple. It was, it's almost like a database meets a blog, right? right? Like there's this really functional aspect for you. I'm like, wow, look at that. (laughs) And I look at your podcast work and I'm like, wow, look at that. (laughs) You know, it's all paintbrushes and canvases and you just choose your own canvas. And if it's fun, do it. And if, if it's not, then heck don't. Totally. 
Well, Chelsea, I want to take a little bit of a turn and ask you some questions that I love to ask all of my guests. And I think we've gotten a chance to know you more and know what your work is about and who you are and what you're about. So I think these questions now have a little bit more color, hopefully, for people listening when I ask them. How would you define being a modern woman? You know, I think being a modern woman is more about access instead of obligations. I see a lot of articles and a lot of verbiage right now on the modern woman has it all and has to do it all and juggling and trying to find the ever evading balance. And God, that sounds like so much pressure. And if we look at the technology that we have in our lives as almost portals to worlds that we can explore if we want to (laughs) and different ways we can define ourselves if we want to. And there's just this sense of obligation that I know I've carried around for many years. I have to fill in the blank and I actually don't have to do any of that. I have to, if I want to, And I think that women at this particular point in time have such freedom to do that. And again, that's not, that's not an easy freedom. It's certainly, we didn't arrive here on, you know, the generations of women who had much less access and much fewer choices. Um, And hopefully the generations to come, we will feel like, wow, you hardly had any access or any choices. Hopefully we're, we're in this kind of evolution for forever. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's so much fun to be a modern woman right now. And I feel really grateful to be in this point of time. And I, I think you're right. We're, we're blessed to be able to have a conversation like this because we are standing on the shoulders of all those women that came before us. Yeah. And I, I love what you're talking about. And I, I, I feel like I keep coming back to the word choice mm-hmm. as I was listening. We have the right to choose if I want to, right? Like when you say, if I want to, that means there is this implicit choice right. in that. And then also, like to your point, like this isn't always easy, right? Like that's, it, it sounds very light as, as you described it in a way. But then there's also we have to make choices, mm-hmm. right? And I think that ambivalence that a lot of women carry is poisonous, right? right. And like, yep. you know, that obligation, we feel like we have to do it all because we just, we don't want to make the hard choice right. to let some other piece of it go, right? Yeah. Well said. I- yeah. And it's something I've I've struggled with a bit too, because I'm a people pleaser by nature, Um, I grew up in the deep South in Lafayette, Louisiana, which is a really fun place to grow up, Um, really communal and food and culture and just a lovely, lovely place. Um, And it also has a lot of Southern undertones to it where uh, women are expected to be nurturers and caretakers and poised and all the things that go with the stereotypes of Southerners and Nobody ever said that to me. It's literally something I probably cobbled together in in my own mind. So I'm not placing blame on anyone else. But um, I 
it took me a very long time to realize that my number one job is not to take care of everyone else. And my number one job is to take care of myself physically, emotionally, spiritually, and then use that place of groundedness and healthiness to help as many people as I can. And it's, it's challenging to, to ride that line sometimes because I, I default to codependency (laughs) very easily. And I always have to check in with myself like, okay, am I doing this because I'm supposed to, am I doing this out of a sense of obligation or am I doing this from a place of just pure love and with zero expectation? And if it's the first answer to that group of, of, of statements, then I really got to retool it. And if it is just pure, yes, I just want to take care of these people because my heart is just getting bigger, then, then that's the right thing to do. So well said. And I think it's important to remember, and this, it's funny, it came up in the previous podcast that I did with Sarah Cantor A. Mm-hmm. And it was more around cultural views on, on parenting oh, and, right. and how that works. And equally, she's her and her husband, George, are really trying to be parents who are equally sharing in the responsibilities of being parents. And she was talking about how much we culturally absorb and how we have to be careful. And we have to kind of, we need to look at that ourselves and go, is that me? Is that the choice I want to be making? Or is this something I just absorbed culturally? Right. Right. Like this belief system, is this, is this really mine? Or can I just can I just sort of wipe this residue off and and get back to what I want to be doing? Right. And is it in service of the partner to take care of eighty percent of it? it? You know, there's there's always such a balance of of relationship, and um, yeah, I I think that's such an interesting topic for parents, for modern parents and modern women. <laughs> And it's funny, like, these are where I have, like, the imposter syndrome moments, if if we're doing full disclosure, where I'm like, damn, I wish I was, you know, had a PhD in sociology or in psychology, so I could really break down that nut a little bit more. But maybe I just need to find the guest who can. Totally. (laughs) Do what you do best and link to the rest. And heck, it ain't over yet. You can get a PhD in sociology if you feel like it. <laughs> we need to make t-shirts that just say that. <laughs> so Chelsea, I also want to get your opinion on a couple of other things. Okay. What would you like to see modern women give more of a shit about? Ooh, I love this question because um, the things that I wish women would give more of a shit about uh, sometimes I hesitate to talk about it because it sounds preachy. <laughs> You've created such a nice environment to talk about these things. So I, I feel a, a sense of, um, of freedom to do that. So thank you. You're welcome. I really care a lot around sustainable fashion and how our choices in terms of what we buy clothing and accessory-wise impact our world. Um, five years ago, I ran into this person 
who was dressed a little strangely at a conference. It, it wasn't your typical kind of conference gear. And he said, do you have some questions about my clothes? Because I must have had a look on my face. I said, yeah, you know, what's the deal, Andy? And he said, well, somebody challenged me to not buy any piece of clothing that wasn't ethically manufactured. And I wow. threw out everything in my closet that wasn't ethically manufactured. And I went right into the place of fear, like, oh, I could never do that because then I would just have to wear yoga pants and I can't do that. I'm a professional person and who would people think I am if I show up in these skin tight, you know, so I go through like this whole spiral of ridiculousness, but he really inspired me and I thought about it and I went home and I went through my closet, which isn't super big. And I pulled out everything that I didn't know the origin of. Lots of made in China tags, lots of, you know, that kind of stuff. And then I just took an inventory. I'm like, wow, this really makes a difference. And of course, then I start researching <laughs> ethical manufacturing. <laughs> and it goes down to the dyes that we put in our denim, how toxic that is, not only for the environment, but for the laborers in the workforce who has to create the dyes, sew the clothes, package it all up. And by the way, 75% of women employed in the fashion industry or 75% of the people in the fashion industry are, are women. And most of them are not working in safe, wonderful conditions. They're, they're actually pretty deplorable. So I've just been on this journey of what are my personal choices and how can I, through my actions, do something that I don't know if it helps the world, but at least it, it won't harm it. So um, I only buy ethically manufactured clothing, which means I don't have a huge wardrobe. And if I really have to cheat, like I just don't have the budget to buy something that is, you know, for a wedding or, or for something that's a special occasion, uh, then I'll thrift it. And that's kind of my get out of jail free card. That's that's my backdoor safety is just thrifting and, and repurposing clothes. And now it's a really fun journey. And I love to tell the stories of the clothing that I'm wearing because they're most of the time female entrepreneurs who are starting social impact businesses and they're employing women and providing them opportunities that they wouldn't have through their normal lives. For example, there's a um, line called Little Pieces of Hope, and they employ women who were formerly victimized by sex trafficking. And so they don't have to choose that prior life, not like they had a choice to begin with, but they have an, they have an option and they have a way to earn a wage. And um, I, I love wearing their pieces and, and talking about their pieces. And there's so, so many. I, I love to follow all the social entrepreneurs um, on Instagram. So my feed is a good place to kind of look for all those um, really, really beautiful and brave pioneers of, around fashion. Oh my goodness, Chelsea, so unexpected and so powerful. Besides your Instagram feed, which would be a good way to start seeing some of the brands that you're supporting, that you've done some of the work to research and figure out, yeah. are there any other resources that you've found particularly helpful for anyone who's listening and thinking, I want to I wanna clean up my act a little in my closet? 
Mm-hmm. And it's really cool. In the past year, there's been a lot more activity around this. And it's it's this ever-widening circle that the more people make the choice to participate, even if it's just small at first. I'm, I'm not saying you have to throw out everything in your closet. Um, but there's a lot more blogs and curators. Um, Nisolo is a brand that I really love, and they promote a lot of other um, socially conscious brands in ISOLO. Um, there's also a brand called Conscious Consumer. And really, if you just start searching for it, that's the beauty of the algorithm of, of Instagram. I think they've really gotten this right. You'll start getting lots of suggestions for um, for similar kind of brands or, or similar um, folks to follow. And, and there's a lot of activity. And it's cool that every individual consumer starts making an action and all of a sudden it turns into a movement. And that can be true around anything. It can be true around how much plastic we consume. It's it's overwhelming when you see all the floating islands of plastics and all the animals being affected and then go to a restaurant and say, you know what, I don't need plastic silverware or plasticware. I, I don't need a plastic straw. I don't need plastic in my daily life and all the different ways that, that we consume it. And just applying that one tiny little personal action to whatever it is in your life that that you're being affected by or or that you're concerned about um and and then all of a sudden the whole world starts to change and we can all be a part of that uh thank you for the hope thank you for the inspiration we can get there all together (laughs) yeah and i think people think they need to create some big campaign or be the top of you know the instagram charts or you know, number one on Twitter to have their change make a difference. But I I think you're right. Like just taking one napkin instead of two, taking, you know, leaving the straw. Like, do I really need this straw right now? Like those little things, the small consistent things we do, I think often lead to the biggest changes overall. That's great. And Chelsea, conversely, what would you like to see modern women give less of a shit about? Oh, this is such an easy answer. What other people think of them. (laughs) (laughs) This is a common answer. Yeah. I I feel like we struggle with this still as women. Like, why why do we care so much? I don't know. I think it's this, uh, the quest for perfection is just ridiculous. And, you know, when I think about the people in my life and what I truly love about them is the oops. It's not the polished perfection. It's, it's the stumbles and the oops and, and the imperfect. That's just the most human, lovable thing there is. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know why I was afraid to show that for, for so long. I don't know. An insecurity at, at the end of the day, I guess that's what it is. But yeah, now it's almost like, oh yeah, I didn't quite do that right. Um, well, I don't think my intentions were bad, but it didn't quite turn out the way I wanted to. All right, let's do this again. And just permission to be playful. Yes. Thank you for saying that. And 
I know we talked about so many different things and I thank you for all of that. Uh, I just love this conversation. Thank you for hosting it. You're welcome. And please know how much joy it brings me on this end. And then doubles down when I get to hit go on Libsyn and it rolls out to the world. Awesome. But what do you most want Levital Core Salon listeners to know? I think I want them to know that whatever they think is possible is possible. And if you, if I would be listening to myself saying that, I don't know, even five years ago, I probably would have rolled my eyes and called bullshit on it. (laughs) But then when I have a chance to describe literally what I do every day, which is research and talk to the smartest, most dedicated people in the world and literally travel around the world connecting those people and enjoying the experiences that they create. What a dream. What a dream. And I'm not the wealthiest person in the world. I don't have a PhD. I haven't written a book. I mean, there's so many things that I have not done. And all of those metrics of the the things you're supposed to check the boxes of, it's irrelevant. And (laughs) it's irrelevant. It's totally irrelevant. You just got to get started doing your dream and it's possible. You might have to get a little creative about it, you know, but that's again, the super fun part. And so I just want people to know that whatever they think is possible is possible. Yes. Thank you. And I'm hearing that advice as well on a really personal level. I mean, I, I think with this podcast, with the 33K project, it's been really funny in the last year or so as I sort of shift more of my energy and and focus there and figure out like, all right, I'm really going to have to start making some choices because I I sort Mm -hmm. of have the private client work and consulting. I have the 33K project and I have this podcast. Yeah. And I've just been kind of watching over the past year, like where is, is is this going where I'm going to have to make some choices Yeah, probably, you know, within the next year of how I'm going to split my time. Cause eventually I'm not going to be able to do all three of these at the level sure. that I can do. And, you know, right now it's sort of data collection and watching, but I think it's so interesting when you, when you see what happens when you start to believe things are possible, right? Cause yeah. I think, I mean, even the 33K, I mean, getting 33,000 women or maybe less, but like, and collecting 33,000 lists to make some art. Yeah. When I first thought of it, I was like, that is bananas. Like, what am (laughs) I, why do I keep having this dream over and over and over again? Why does this keep coming up in my sleep? Why is this happening? Why does this keep, (laughs) I know, why is this coming to me? And then when I finally said, wait a minute, the world is huge. People yeah. throw out a lot of task lists on a given day everywhere in the in the known universe. Yeah. Like this isn't as impossible as it seems on the surface. Yeah. Everything changes. 
And yeah. and the same with the podcast too. Like I never thought like, wait a minute, like asking questions of really cool, smart, interesting women and getting to talk to them about how they're doing it and how, how can we all survive and it go beyond surviving to thriving mm-hmm. as women. Yeah. Like that's a job. Yeah. And then it's been funny to see what's happened as a result of it. I mean, just in the last couple of months, I'm getting more and more requests like, hey, would you be interested in moderating this panel? And it's like, oh, okay. great. Getting to talk to four or five other like super smart women all at yeah. once. Yes. <laughs> and you just think like, how are these things a job? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's not an accident, right? You just get started. And what the beautiful part that I heard in your process was that you took time to explore it and you have watched it as each of these kind of naturally morph into whatever they're going to be and you don't get in their way. You get out of the way and you and you enable it. And I think the doing that is part of the of the magic where if you would have said, here's my project and it has to be this and I have to get to this fill in the blank metric, metric, metric. I mean, not that goal setting is a bad thing, but if, if you squashed it too early in the process, it doesn't, it doesn't have that blooming chance. It, no, it, force, yeah. it forces it to be something. And then you're, and then you're in service of the, of the thing you forced it to be as opposed to the steward or the nurturer or the artist or the creator. And when you're creating, that's so fun. And when you're like, Oh no, you have to fit into this little round peg that doesn't exist, but I just said it exists. And so therefore I'm a slave to it. And I mean, we just, we back ourselves into corners so easily. And to your point, it's, all a choice and it's all about our perspective and it can be fun just let it be fun and then it turns into a job and then people pay you for it (laughs) (laughs) we'll see how how that works i i i believe it will happen i I think it's i think i'm at the point now where with both the podcast and with the 33k or maybe they're together still in some way i mean they're both me at the end of the day yeah. I haven't got to that point where they are financially fruitful endeavors yeah. and and supporting me in any sort of real way. But it's interesting because I think the more I try to be type A and a planner about it, the more frustrating and the more it takes me away from that playful energy. Yeah. So like with those two, I've kind of said it's going to happen how it needs to happen. Yeah. And I think that's the greatest gift of especially the 33k project for there's no way I can predict how that's going to turn out right like if you look at comparable projects like post secret or something like that so cool him putting postcards into the world and what has happened as a result of it like there's Mm -hmm. no way it could have been predicted and I mean I think I hear that in in your work with digicity too right like the this has to be a dissertation right like that was it's a thesis Mm mm-hmm when you gave it space to bloom, which I love that word, mm. everyone else's energy attached to it in a different way as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, so it's, it, I'm, 
I'm so thankful for you sharing your story and really opening up about these like small nooks and crannies that you probably don't speak to on a regular basis. So mm-hmm. hopefully you, you felt comfortable. I know sometimes when we're speakers, we get into a groove of like, well, these are the things I talk about, like from a work perspective. Yeah. I feel like I'm so grateful that you came and were able to kind of help us look at your project from different places and, and, I'm grateful on a personal level and hopefully everyone listening. I not hopefully I have no doubt that people listening to this podcast episode are going to come away with some really different ideas of small changes they can make to make the really big shifts easier and more playful. So thank you. Yes. We all need more play. (laughs) Heck yeah. But Chelsea, thank you so much so so much for this thank you thank you i've just loved every second of it and this conversation and all of our interactions you're just this spark in the world and you're exactly where you need to be (laughs) and i'm excited for when you feel the support of everything that you're putting out there because it comes back to you. That's just the way it works, whether we like it or not. Whatever we put out there, boomerangs right back. So get ready, because I think it's coming. Buckled up. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. Chelsea, thank you so much again. So, so, so many thanks. Cool. Wonderful to talk with you, and thanks for creating the platform. Hey, it's Kara again. Thanks for sticking around all the way to the end of this episode. I hope you loved it as much as I loved having this conversation with Chelsea. Now, you heard Chelsea and I talk about a lot of links and resources and things like that in this episode. All of those links and resources can be found in the show notes over at levitalcoursealon.com. And that's L E. V-I-T-A-L-C-O-R-P-S-S-A-L-O-N.com. When you make your way over to those show notes, I want to encourage you to share the link to those show notes with at least one other human being that you think might really vibe with this conversation that I had with Chelsea today. I'm asking you to do that for two reasons. One, it shows that you're thinking about someone in your life, and it's a nice way to say, hey, I think you'll dig this. I found some inspiration from it, and hopefully you can too. And who wouldn't like that once in a while? And secondly, it helps this podcast grow organically. And I really appreciate your help making this baby grow. So thank you. Thank you in advance for sharing it with one person. Because I don't make this show by myself, I want to give a big merci beaucoup to my producer, Craig, who makes my guests and I sound great and lets me bounce a zillion ideas off of him. If you think I have questions on this podcast, you should be in this house. (laughs) Maybe not. Maybe that would frighten some of you. Anyways, thanks to Craig Snyder. Also thanks to Darlene Victoria, who, by doing what she's really good at, allows me to do the parts of this podcast that I'm really good at. And this show 
I don't know how it existed before her. So thanks to Darlene. And thanks to Rishi Deer of Elephant Stone and Mean for writing the awesome song that you hear and for the high dials for actually performing it. So again, it takes a small village. Don't forget, you deserve a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. Don't let bullshit or burnout stop you.